Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement for Parkinson's podcast and audio library. Today I'm pleased to have Dr. Chris Hagaseth as an interview subject on the podcast. Dr. Hagaseth uh, is a retired psychiatrist and a veteran of the Marines, and now he's the uh, head of the Fort Collins Colorado Parkinson's Disease Support Group. And just today I enjoyed doing a yoga for Parkinson's class that quite a few members of the Fort Collins group participate in. So we'll be talking to Dr. Hagaseth about his uh, personal background uh, and a program that he's developing and wanting to share with people who have Parkinson's. Welcome, Dr. Hagaseth. Thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity to get the word out. You bet. Okay, so I know you were diagnosed with Parkinson's about five and a half years ago. Um, why don't you just share a little bit about what it was like for you to receive the diagnosis and how you reacted to it. Sure, I can even go a little earlier than that. One characteristic of people with Parkinson's, and that's what we call ourselves, PWPs, mm -hmm. we never call ourselves patients. Mm -hmm. And the characteristic is, after the diagnosis, they look back and see all the symptoms that they had before they weren't diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's about eight years ago. Mm -hmm that I had what are called non-motor symptoms. Mm -hmm. And these included uh, urinary difficulty, which is uh, what's called urge incontinence. Mm -hmm. When you gotta go, you really gotta go, and if you don't get there quickly, you wet your pants. Yeah. Uh, severe constipation, just awful stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, loss of the sense of smell. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, one more about I forget. But anyway, mm -hmm. so those symptoms were on about eight years ago. Then about five and a half years ago is when I began to notice the involuntary movements of my right hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an interesting adage that goes that a doctor who has himself for a patient has a fool for a doctor. Uh. <laughs> so I decided, I was thinking I might have Parkinson's, but I went to my internal medicine doctor, who was my family doctor, mm -hmm. and it was a regular exam, and then I asked him about my tremor. And he made a thorough examination in all of 10 seconds and, mm, uh, yeah. and, and said, uh, oh, don't worry about it, it's an instantial tremor, nothing, it's just age. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, as the uh, couple months unfolded, I didn't agree with that mm -hmm. because I was beginning to accumulate a number of symptoms which were fairly noticeable and particularly noticeable to my wife. Ah, uh, yeah. And one of them was that as I walked, I tended to lean forward quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And in fact, became a little more hunched. And I'd say, well, I'm, she'd say, you're, you're, you're straightening up, straighten up. Oh, well, come on, I'm, I'd find some excuse for another, which we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I then began to notice that my arm swing was diminishing. Mm -hmm. And I noticed a couple of times when I would do, I liked, I like climbing steep hills for the cardio effect. Mm -hmm. I got bad knees and a bad foot, so I can get my heart rate up pretty nicely by climbing a steep hill. But I found when I came down, sometimes I had unwanted accelerations. I began to take fast, fast steps, mm -hmm. short little steps. It's called fenestration, and I knew that was wrong. Mm -hmm. So uh, <clears throat> I decided that I had Parkinson's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I went to my neurologist and came in and said, uh, I said, what can I do for you? I knew him, we practiced, you know, in the same community. And I said, I've got Parkinson's. He said, oh, who diagnosed you? And I said, I did. He said, oh, okay. So mm -hmm. he examined me and in fact concluded I do have Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And 
at that point in time, my, my gait was slower, my steps were shorter, my arm swing was non-existent, my right hand trembled a lot as I walked, mm -hmm. and my face had become immobile. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, my wife would ask me, why are you angry? I said, I'm not angry, she said, but your face. Mm -hmm. And I, what I did is I had what they call the mask-like face. I had no expression. Yeah. And that is not a cheerful face. Yeah. Mm. Well, when he diagnosed me, uh, and I asked him, what should I do? Uh, he said, exercise, exercise, exercise. And uh, it was easy for him to say because he's a ultramarathoner. I mean, he runs mm. hundred mile ultramarathons up in the Rockies. Wow! And uh, I've done a few marathons, much earlier though, not for anything in the last twenty five years. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I agreed that exercise was good. He prescribed a medicine for me called Aslept, mm. and he said, "What that'll do is it'll slow the the course, but you need to understand it is degenerative." and progressive and irreversible and he didn't mm -hmm. say it but you know if you don't die of something else you're going to die of it yeah mm. and uh, so when I went home that night I sat down at my kitchen table and the first thing that struck me was I reject the terms irreversible mm. uh, degenerative progressive mm -hmm. I rejected the terms mm. And I didn't look at myself as being sick. I looked at myself as being challenged. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I liked the sense of a challenge a lot better than being sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so I um, sat down at my table and decided, well, I'm already, I jog as much as my foot and knee allow, but I'm going to do more and I'm going to get, do more hill climbing because that's good cardiovascular. Yeah. And then I said, it makes sense to me that I should do yoga. Mm. And I'd never done a second of yoga in my life and I had just turned 70. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm gonna put a yoga classes. Yeah. And then the third thing I did is I said, I think I'm gonna do some weight training and I wanna get stronger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well over the next year, in the first six months, I tried three different medications. That Azalect costs about 600 a month. Mm -hmm. And so if I'd continued the Azalect from then until now, I would have spent over $42,000 mm. just on a drug that, quote, might slow or improve the trajectory of the disease. Yeah. And the other two drugs didn't help much, so I thought, why bother? Mm. So by the time that I was six months in, I was taking no meds. Mm -hmm. But also by that time, I began to notice some improvements. Yeah. And... I really thought yoga was a big deal. Yeah. I, let me let me ask you before you proceed there. Sure. So, why, why do you think it was that yoga popped to mind since it wasn't something you had done before? What was it about your intuition or what you knew that you'd read about yoga that that that's what came to mind on the on the day that you were diagnosed by a neurologist? Probably one of the notable symptoms of Parkinson's is stiffness mm -hmm. and loss of the range of motion. And I thought yoga will help counteract stiffness and will maintain range of motion, mm -hmm. and, which it did. And yeah, more. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was my reasoning. Now I did notice within 
even the first day when I looked out of the first class, I said, you know what, I feel like I'm alive in every cell of my body. Mm -hmm. And I now know what's going on is that there are proprioceptors, which are sensors in your muscles, your joints, everywhere in your body that are giving you input about what's going on. And it's like I woke up my proprioceptive system. Mm, yeah. And <clears throat> it was important to find the right teacher mm -hmm. because uh, just like doctors, there's a huge difference in yoga instructors. Yeah. And it's important to find one who is uh, interested in you. Mm -hmm. That the relationship with a yoga instructor, I think it goes beyond just coming to a class. Mm -hmm. There has to be a sense of kindness mm. and interest and I found that person and she uh, I really went in, I got better fast mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, by the time that I was nine months in the oh I did try uh, marijuana for a while too mm -hmm. uh, because it's Colorado yeah everybody's going to try marijuana yeah and I studied what was on the literature from a what they call the Institute of Cannabis Physicians, mm -hmm. and uh, grew some and used some, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> concluded this, THC uh, is probably not wise for most people mm -hmm. with Parkinson's, yeah. because it impairs balance. I see. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, CBD is expensive and untried. Mm -hmm. And the people that I found around the internet claiming benefit were having more placebo responses than much of anything. Mm -hmm. And it is said to be neuroprotective, but again, you're talking about investing quite a bit of money and an unproven treatment. Mm -hmm. And so um, I surveyed our group up here, and uh, a lot of people tried it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, two people out of our group of 32 uh, continue to use it. Mm -hmm. And they use it at night in the hours before bed because it relaxes them and helps them sleep. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, no. Yeah. So uh, I, we get that out of the way because the, uh, the marijuana true believers are ready to tell you that it mm. will cure everything. You know, they call it, they, should, they say it should be named the drug do-it-all because it can do it all. Mm. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the marijuana for Parkinson's research. I, I wish I could flash forward like 20 years and see mm -hmm. where it's at because I think the federal prohibition on it has kept the research way back. But like you say, that's kind of left the situation where you have um, kind of in, independent true believers and then a lot of people who probably don't have the right kind of medicinal thing to even try. Yeah. But so if I'm hearing your story right, it sounds like um, w within the first year of getting diagnosed, you had mostly decided that your own exercise and yoga regimen was producing better results than either the over-the-counter medications or the marijuana that you had tried. And marijuana, by the way, since this will be on the internet, is legal in Colorado. Completely legal. <laughs> I grew it in my own house. Yeah. I had different strains so I could test it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of science problems so I could never smoke it. And of course, got to be careful when you eat that stuff because oh, boy, yeah. you can get too much in it and it really whacks you out. Yeah. But anyway, I mentioned the marijuana just because it's, it's not right now a viable. Yeah, uh, There is a um, cannabinoid called CBG, cannabigerol, 
that holds promise, but the problem is they haven't found a plant where they can extract it in any concentration mm -hmm. because it is a precursor to both CBD and THC, and there's never more than about 1% in the plant. I see. So yeah. we'll let that go for the future and not worry about it. But yeah. for me, yes, the exercise was making a difference, and especially the yoga. Mm -hmm. And I gave up on the weightlifting mm -hmm. because weightlifting um, does not make, does not follow the way your body moves. Mm -hmm. You're strengthening individual muscles. Mm -hmm. And Parkinson's is a total body involvement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's real important for people to understand about Parkinson's that it isn't just a movement disorder. That's only one of its many manifestations. Yeah. It has all kinds of manifestations in, in a person with Parkinson's, there are abnormal proteins that accumulate that are called alpha-synuclein. Mm -hmm. And this is akin to the uh, beta amyloid in Alzheimer's disease, and uh. it's found in cells. Mm -hmm. Well, those of us with Parkinson's, they find alpha-synuclein proteins in the intestine, mm -hmm. in the brain, of course, uh, in organs all over the body. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's a total body problem, not just the basal ganglia giving you a movement disorder, but it's the most obvious symptom of it. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, and so, a year in, I then changed, I got a trainer, mm -hmm. and I went on to doing uh, high intensity interval training. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that has been helpful, but it's, it's pretty exhausting, uh -huh. as it should be. And so whenever I talk to people about the training, it's like, do not undertake this without really talking to your doctor. I see. Because we're old, older folks, and unless you are pretty cardiovascular fit and checked out, mm -hmm. while it's a good training, I think it, it has more risks. Mm -hmm. Yoga, I think, is pretty much for your risk. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I would add, though I don't have experience, I think Tai Chi mm -hmm. and Qigong probably yeah. both would be beneficial, but I have never had good instruction in those. Yeah, well, hearing what you're saying, I, I think it comes down hugely to who is the good teacher that you can find. Yes. If you can, because uh, I have experience with yoga going back to my late teens, and I had some teachers who, in retrospect, were not so great, and yoga turned out to be not free of risk for me. I mm -hmm. had strained ligaments and oh, swelling. Yeah. And so, to me, the mo most important thing is to find a teacher who you trust, and like you say, who's interested in you and mm -hmm. isn't just trying to convey a preset system to you. Um, but yeah, Tai Chi has had really good um, scientific results mm -hmm. to the big study that was done. Um, I think it was in Portland or in the Pacific Northwest mm -hmm. um, and had uh, uh, positive statistical results in Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. so. All right, so you, so you were about 70 when you got diagnosed. Yep. Now you're about 75. So tell us um, how, how, what's your regimen like today and how do you feel? Okay. Um, in the process of the last few years, uh, I've been more and more attracted to mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I think the yoga kind of did that, but also many years earlier in my life, I did study meditation. Mm -hmm. you know, I spent a week with Jack Kornfield down in Taos, being silent for a week. But I could never make the meditation stick. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years ago, I read John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living. Mm -hmm. That book spoke to my heart, and I just, based on my previous studies and practice and that book, 
began to do my mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. And I now practice meditation 45 minutes every morning after I get up. Mm. And then I follow with 15 minutes of yoga. Okay. And I do that virtually every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can be a little bit depressed or down when I first awaken. Yeah. But when I finish that hour, I'm always up. Mm. And, and in true mindful fashion, I'm aware. Mm. I'm aware of everything. Yeah. And so that's a big part of my practice. Then I do yoga classes a minimum of four days a week. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And one of the classes I do that I've started doing the last year is yoga with weights. Oh, interesting. And uh, it's pretty interesting because the class is made up of attractive young athletic women, probably between the ages of 19 and 40. Mm -hmm. And then I'm the 75-year-old guy off to the side <laughs> of the room, and so I, 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 I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. And... Um, and then I do my Tabata, my high intensity training, at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, yoga, Tabata. And oh, I've been, oh, yeah, this is a big part. I forgot this. Walking yeah. is the most important exercise for, for uh, persons with Parkinson's because it involves so much of our, mo our movement that is related to Parkinson's. And by being consciously informed by myself, I watch my gait, my posture. And so I will walk now lately an hour mm -hmm. in the evening. I do it in the evening because it's hot during the day. Yeah. And, and so I do that in the evening and it's a brisk walk. Mm -hmm. It's a three and a half mile an hour walk. So I mean, it's, it's moving yeah. along. Yeah. And the walking, as long as I watch my form, and really pay close attention to the feedback I'm getting and make sure the arm swing is there, that my head is up, that I'm not tilted in the middle. Yeah. Um, it really helps. Now, I, I, my symptoms are still right-sided. Now, my leg, my right leg is pretty good, but when I walk, uh -huh. I tend to skiff the bottom of that shoe. Yeah. So when I'm walking, I swing it out a little more and get a heel strike. Yeah, yeah. So that, and I walk at least six days a week. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that, that's my program. Great, yeah. And that's how you and I got connected was actually John Pepper from South Africa, who some of the listeners may know from Norman Doidge's book, The Brain's Way of Healing. He uh, similarly had Parkinson's and found that not just walking and not just walking at a fast pace, but walking with his mind really present in his body, studying how he was doing it, studying where he had awareness or didn't have awareness, that that was probably the major thing that has helped him to control his symptoms. And then, even though you and I live about an hour apart in Colorado, it took John Pepper to I know. put us in Cape contact. Town, South Africa. Yeah. He, re yeah. he got us together. That's right. <laughs> Love That's the right. internet for that reason. Yeah. Now, I'm a little different than John in the uh, walking part. Uh -huh. Because what I've done is, instead of uh, breaking it down into multiple things, what I do is I mimic Mm. And so what I do is, is I think about when I was a Marine and marching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so rather I, I, I visualize myself, mm -hmm. the young man with the nice build and the square shoulders yeah. and, mm -hmm. and walking with a real purpose and a, and a pride. Yeah. Or another word I like is dignity. Mm -hmm. And those visualizations for me do the job so I don't have to what John does, which is almost like, I'm going to do this with this foot, I'm going to do that with 
that foot. So yeah, yeah. I'm in a little different place. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And um, so, I, you know, I'm a teacher of the Feldenkrais method, which is a broader part of a broader field mm-hmm. called somatics. Mm-hmm. And something I've learned in studying the history of that field is that some schools rely more on visualization and others don't. And they both seem to uh, work for some people. But yeah, there, there's, there's a school within somatics called idiokinesis. And mm-hmm. They rely, uh, their method is to start with an image every time. This is what you want to end up looking like. Okay. And how can you bring your current state more and more and more close to that image? So, I'd like to know more about that. Idiokinesis. Yeah, yeah idiokinesis. And um, it's got a history going back to the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And it got mostly taken up by dancers. So you can find sure. a lot in the world of modern dance. And we know that dancing and, and Parkinson's are really interesting together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. People, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot dance. Mm. Because I was born Norwegian. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like Garrison Keillor. Uh-huh. And so I don't have rhythm and I don't dance. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not illness yeah. related. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so when I... Let me hit a couple other points. Sure. As time has gone, when I first got this going about four years ago, I set up a website called Sweating Out Parkinson's Disease. And my opinion then is I was doing well because of the intensity of my exercise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was encouraging people to exercise and talking about intensity. Okay. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people with Parkinson's don't challenge themselves enough with intensity. Yeah. But as I got better and better and the time was going by, finally last spring, I talked to my neurologist, who retired since, and I said, I'm doing so well. Mm-hmm. And he said, you are. I'm nobody, I have nobody like you. Mm-hmm. And so we agreed that I would have a brain study called a DAT scan. Oh, okay. And a DAT scan does not diagnose Parkinson's, but it has consistent findings if somebody has Parkinsonian symptoms and you see that DAT scan, they have Parkinson's. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had a DAT scan and it said, I have Parkinson's. Yeah. Then uh, about four or five months ago, I went down to the University of Colorado Medical School and saw Dr. Benzie Kluger, who is mm-hmm. a uh, well-known movement disorder specialist. Yep, and a former interviewee on the okay. podcast. And he, uh, I, I, want, I volunteered for evaluation for possible early dementia, mm-hmm. because I have to get to notice that I was getting a little ragged around the edges, and mm-hmm. my, my mind has been very important to me, and so they put me through a day of testing that was just amazing. And in the end, they wouldn't accept me into the study because I didn't have any dementia. Uh-huh. I was just worried. Yeah. But uh, he concurred, mm-hmm. you've got Parkinson's. Yeah. And I said, why am I doing so well? And he said, oh, must be the exercise. Mm-hmm. Then, as life would unfold, I have a dear friend who's a retired neuroscience professor here from Colorado State. And we got talking because he loves to talk neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started talking about neuroplasticity. And I really got into that and said, that must be what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to Dr. Norman Deutsch's books. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, my, eyebrow, my eyes grew as big as saucers. And I um, Googled Dr. Deutsch, and wouldn't you know it, the week 
following the week I Googled him, he was in Denver giving a talk. Ah, mm -hmm. and let me, let me just pause so I can give a little more information about Deutsch. So Dr. Deutsch uh, is from Canada and he teaches in, gets Vancouver and at Columbia University in New York City. And his two books um, that have become pretty world famous now, the first one is called uh, The Brain That Changes Itself, and that came out in 2007. And then the more recent one is The Brain's Way of Healing. And these books are about as good of an introduction as you're going to find, especially if for a layperson, to the concept of neuroplasticity. That's the idea that the brain and the nervous system can continue to change throughout life. Um, so I'll put the links up yeah. uh, on the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a website. It's worth linking just to him, too. That's right. So um, I met Dr. Deutsch, and I, I was really interested because he had a chapter in his second book about uh, John Pepper. That's right, yeah. And uh, about how well he did with his uh, Parkinson's. And so um, he was keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. And this was a meeting that I, it was called... Uh, integrated listening systems something that I was not knowledgeable about or interested in but I was going to do anything to meet him yeah and at the break I walked up to him in my, with my gate and I introduced myself and said I'm 75 I'm a retired psychiatrist and I've had Parkinson's for five and a half years and I don't take any medicine mm -hmm. and he dropped his pencil he looked and he says walk back and forth for me again let me see you and he said you're not taking any medicine I said mm -hmm. no none mm -hmm. and then he said could I demonstrate you you know, after the break to the mm -hmm. people here? I said, sure. And so uh, when he went to demonstrate me, I, I did a number of yoga things and uh, jumping mm -hmm. jacks yeah, and walking, mm -hmm. and the place broke into a wild applause. Mm -hmm. And then he, uh, at, a, at a lunch, he interviewed me for an hour and videoed me. Ah, mm -hmm. And he said that I might be the best example he's ever seen of neuroplastic changes that have made my Parkinson's so mild. Mm -hmm. With that, I finally developed the conclusion that I have something to share. Yeah. And that I was so worried about being just one example because you know one case study does not prove a medical thing. Yeah. But I think right now there's enough about my case study mm -hmm. that I want to share with others, and that is what I have done. Yeah, I've started a program, and it's called Integrating the Body Mind, mm -hmm. and it is based on the concepts that what I do with both my body and my mind will result in neuroplastic changes which are beneficial to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, exercise is at the core, and exercise needs to be done on a regular basis. But I really tell people that for most, walking is it. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, then, yoga. I know yoga works. I think Tai Chi does and maybe Qigong. But since I know yoga, yeah. I, I want people to get into yoga. Mm -hmm. But finally, I recognized that the first move that got me on my track to getting better was what happened in my mind when I reinterpret the disease into a challenge. Mm -hmm. So my training now is a seven-week training. And the first week, the trainees are given what I call my, my training manual, mm -hmm. 
which guides them through a number of concepts. Mm. Among them, neuroplasticity, mindfulness, and then a concept I've developed called service mind, deep mind, which is probably more than we want to get into right now. Mm. But when they've done this for a week, hopefully, they will have changed their orientation with their illness, mm -hmm. their perception of it, their description to themselves of what it is. Mm -hmm. And I want them to be convinced that they can make an improvement in their condition. Yeah. Then, I have, during that week, I will interview them for about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I create two recordings. The first recording is guided imagery slash hypnosis mm -hmm. and I, I did a lot of hypnotherapy as a psychiatrist uh -huh. a great deal as a member of the, you know, the clinical association and so I try to get people into what I call the deep mind mm -hmm. and there implant suggestions that are concurrent that are congruent with what they visualize they want mm -hmm. and then the second recording I call Mindful contemplation. Mindfulness to be practiced well takes quite a bit more training. And I recommend it for anybody. Mm -hmm. I recommend anybody who can find it in a mindfulness-based stress reduction, John Kabat-Zinn, do it. Mm -hmm. But since I don't have the skill or the time or the knowledge of how to do that, what I do is introduce a lot of mindfulness, but then I do contemplative things where I will take concepts in the person's life and um, they'll go into a, a state of relaxation but not hypnosis. Mm -hmm. And then with a piercing, clear bell, I will say uh, dignity. Mm -hmm. I move, I walk, and I feel dignity. Mm -hmm. They repeat that once over to themselves and then there's a two-minute period of silence, during which time I ask them to be aware only of their breath mm. and trust that those concepts are sinking into what I call the deep mind. Mm. Yeah. And so we go through about four or five that are appropriate to the subject. So when they finish the week of basic training, they start on these, and it's morning and evening every day for six weeks. Mm -hmm. During that time, I want to communicate with them every week. Mm -hmm. I want to get input from them yeah. about how they're doing. Yeah. Now, you and I were just in that yoga class, and there's a gentleman who has a disease, not exactly Parkinson's, but every bit is disabling and possibly mm -hmm. going downhill. Yeah. And so I started him on it, and the thing that really was striking to me today is, I said, how are you doing? He said, you know, I think I'm a little better. My wife says I am. Yeah. And I noticed he was standing straighter. He was smiling more. Yeah. And his particular problem that has had a lot of problems with speech, his speech was much clearer. Mm, yeah. And so uh, that's why I want to get I want to get feedback mm -hmm. on a regular basis from people so that uh, one person said, you know, your your hypnotic induction doesn't work on me. Mm -hmm. That's because there are about ten percent of people that hypnosis doesn't. Uh -huh. So we moved to a different modality. Yeah. So I want to do that every every week while they go through the training, and then they graduate at the end of the total of seven weeks. Mm -hmm. And if the training has worked, they're probably going to incorporate it for the rest of their life. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting and important question, which is 
for people with Parkinson's or other people who are wanting to incorporate mindfulness into their life or just to change habits, mm-hmm. the question is, well, how intense and how prolonged does the, let's say, the training or the intervention mm-hmm. need to be so that it sticks? Yeah. Um, if, if it's too short, it's not going to stick. If it's not intense enough, it's not going to stick. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, any training that's worth its salt is going to absorb into the person. It shouldn't yeah. be that you have to keep coming back for the rest of your life to right. get it. So right. it sounds like you're trying to optimize your program to find that right amount. Yeah. And, the old yeah. adage, I'm not teaching them to, I, I'm not giving them fish, I'm teaching them to fish. Yeah, yeah. And if they like fishing, they'll continue. Yeah, yeah. So let's see, we're probably coming toward the end of our time here, but I wanted to ask you whether in yourself or in the students that you've observed, what is it about mindfulness, whether you define it as meditation or a a mindful state of mind that maybe you come to through another practice, what is it about that that you think has been beneficial for your Parkinson's or for the people who you've worked with? Moment-to-moment awareness. Mm. And in Parkinson's, that means when I am aware that as you and I have been talking, that my right hand continues to shake. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of that because that is a symptom that I have that does not go away. Yeah. But I'm also been aware that my right leg has done nothing, mm-hmm. and I'm also aware that I'm speaking clearly and articulately. Mm-hmm. And so, mindfulness meditation, I think, helps your helps you develop the skill to be aware every minute mm-hmm. and uh, it's like the Buddha said you know I, 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 I woke I'm awake yeah mm-hmm. and I see real similarity there yeah and that mindfulness means I'm awake which means I'm awake to my Parkinson's and when I walk and I notice I'm beginning to slouch I bring my posture back to proper mm-hmm. to do that yeah I am correcting myself hundreds of times a day yeah yeah but it's that in, you know, it's critical in mindfulness is being non-judgmental. Yeah. So I never judge myself and say, "Oh, you don't, you're not doing it." It's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. You are. You you are taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that can be such a trap in a mindfulness practice. Is that if the mindfulness just leads you to notice what you see as flaws or errors or problems, you, you could end up in a worse state of mind. But if there's that background of friendliness or non-judgmental quality, then you're just uh, bringing yourself back to where you want to be without thinking about it anymore. Now, John Kabat-Zinn says, uh, every time your mind wanders, thank yourself that you discovered that. Mm, yeah. Because mindfulness meditation isn't about just being in some wonderful state, it's about reminding yourself to return there. Yeah, yeah. So I think I hear in what you're saying, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like for you the benefits of mindfulness include things that are specific to Parkinson's disease, like being able to notice your posture, being able to notice something here has gone off a little bit, but then some other part of myself is actually doing really well. But then at the same time, I'd say there's something more holistic uh, about just appreciating that you're alive. Exactly. present for your Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I literally wake up in the day and I say, you know, I'm really glad that I've got Ah, because yeah. I've learned a lot. I don't have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Mm-hmm. I don't have progressive MS. Mm-hmm. I don't have some awful cancer. I've got Parkinson's disease. Lucky me, I've got a disease I can work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my course and outcome is going to be dependent on my attitude and how hard I go at it. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, what a great attitude to bring towards something um, that, you know, created a major change in your mm -hmm. life. Okay, so um, I want to just make sure that our listeners know how to contact you. Um, is your website still the one you mentioned before? Yeah, the website is, I actually have two websites that are married, but the primary one is sweatingoutpd.com. Okay, that's sweatingoutpd.com. And if you if you Google sweating Parkinson's disease, you'll get there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the other one is called integrating the body mind. Okay. And what I'm doing with that, I'm building it now, is using these concepts for things other than Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. Because there's no question that this that these concepts can go for a lot of people. In fact, I have a number of people now mm -hmm. who are doing it. Interestingly, I've got a guy, because I've worked with athletes in the past. Yeah. I've got a guy who is a uh, state champion uh, power lifter. Mm. And we're doing some stuff to help him break the barrier because his, his uh, deadlift has plateaued at 610 pounds. Oh, only 610. Huh? <laughs> we're working on some things that we go to 625. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. But that's, you know, it's a, there's a real diverseness about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's something that I find, too, in my work with people with Parkinson's is that once you start looking into this territory of the integratedness of body and mind, you're talking about everybody. It yeah. Some people are going to bring a certain problem to it, a certain angle on it, but there's none of us for whom that isn't a fascinating territory. Right. So. right. Okay, um, thank you, Dr. Hagseth. My and, pleasure, thank uh, you. I wonder if you want to leave our listeners with any um, last words? Last words of advice? Yes, from yes. Uh, uh, well, the purpose of life is to experience the gift that life is and to extend ourselves so other people can experience the gift as well. Okay, very well put. Thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you.